You're listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara. And um, this uh, this is episode number 36, and uh, this week, my friend and fellow horseman of the podcast Apocalypse, Brandon Legion of uh, Horwolf666, as well as his uh, musical project Abraxas Horn, is uh, joining me for a uh, <clears throat> exploration and kind of... I guess just uh, us uh, talking about how much we love David Lynch, basically. <laughs> so yeah, this is a celebration of David Lynch, and in particular, the movies of his that uh, we both like, kind of rate the highest. So um, we do kind of talk a little bit about all of his movies, but we primarily get into um, Blue Velvet, um Twin Peaks The Show, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, Mulholland Drive, and Lost Highway. So, um, yeah, we'll get most into those, kind of brush on some of the other ones. Um, Inland Empire, for example, uh, I, I still need, I need to, I'm going to order the uh, Criterion Collection version, but I did not have a chance to watch it again uh, for this episode, so couldn't really talk too much about it, but um, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll do an episode just about it at some point. We'll see. I got to get it and see how I feel about it. Because it's been uh, many years since I watched Inland Empire the last time. It was back when you could rent uh, DVDs from uh, from uh, Netflix back in the day. If that tells you anything. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it was great having Brandon back on the, on the podcast. Of course, he'll be back on plenty more times, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, um, it was great getting to talk to him about David Lynch, who is, you know, one of both of our favorite directors. You know, David Lynch is pretty much up there in the top of the tiers, you know, like possibly when it comes to kind of auteurish director, he might be my favorite, you know. But, um, yeah, his movies are uh, amazing. So, and, uh, yeah, if you're like, if you want to hear... Uh, some of the other horsemen talked about David Lynch as well. Uh, Ralph and Mike Hill, Ralph Schmidt and Mike Hill did an episode of um, of uh, Everything Went Black. I think probably about two, maybe maybe almost two years ago now. I think it was 2021 um, or 2022, like early on, so a year or a year and a half ago. They did an episode on Everything Went Black, which was really good. So go check that out as well. Um, yeah, kind of different from this episode. They're mostly talking about their experiences with Lynch and some stuff about his movies where Brandon and I get really into the movies themselves with this episode. So, you know, doing a, doing a thing. Um, yep, so uh, let's see. Anything else I want to talk about? Um uh, last week, uh, yeah, last week's episode was uh, Jacob uh, Kerwin from All Hell. Their EP is now out, so you can go on Bandcamp and uh, pick that up, which I recommend doing. Or you can give it a listen on Spotify or whatever, you know. So please go do that. And um, yeah, I got some cool stuff coming up. Um, I believe. Uh, trying to think, next week is gonna be a. Um, episode that I did with David Brardy, where we're going to be talking about, um, 
talking about our top 10 death metal albums. So there you go. I'm going to be doing some a series of top 10 um, musical genre albums over you know the next period of time. Um, yeah, figure it's a kind of a, a good way also to for listeners of the show to kind of get a read on uh, uh, you know where I'm coming from. You know, I know that Jackie Smith did that on Into the Necrosphere when he first started it, and uh, I think it's a good way to kind of get an idea of yeah, this is what uh what I like. Um, aside from just even the show itself, you know, you can pretty much tell what I like based by based off of what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it'll be next week. And um, yeah, speaking of. Uh, the Horseman. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and shout out the rest of the Horsemen. Um, on every other Monday, you have Horwolf Six 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 with Branded Legion. Uh, he does interviews with people in the horror community, and uh, um, sometimes some top ten lists and things like this. Um, then um, Tuesdays, you have the best metal podcast out there, which is Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Smith. And then Wednesdays, you have the aforementioned Everything Went Black with Mike Hill, um, sometimes guested with uh, co-host Ralph Schmidt. Um, so there's kind of, you know, Everything Went Black's kind of like this podcast where it's uh, about a lot of different things. Thursdays is Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid, uh, where they cover horror movies old and new and then Fridays, you have uh, Break the Apocalypse with John Draper, who is Mike Scandato's brother. And then kind of the unofficial horseman is uh, Cheyenne w- from Trivax with uh, Iblis Manifestations, which comes out at various times. But um, So yeah, that's it. Um, give everybody a follow on social media and everything. And uh, you can follow me at... Uh, Carl Hikara, K A R L H A I K A R A, on Instagram or Dem or follow me at Denver Underground Radio. That's the more public um, page. But uh, and um, with Denver Underground Radio itself, we have um, shows every uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and most Fridays. All of them starting at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Tuesdays is my show Darklands, which is black metal, death metal, dark ambient, stuff like that. Thursdays is my show with my friend Ken, and we do, uh, it's called The Upstairs Room, and it's primarily like goth, uh, industrial, post-punk, uh, dark wave, synthwave, etc. And uh, Friday is Ken's show, uh, Deviation, which is, you know, kind of on a similar vein as our Thursday show. And um, you can also... Uh, if you re- if you like the show and you want to hear some more stuff, um, please follow, uh, please sign up at Patreon, um, patreon.com forward slash soul Knox podcast for $2 a month. I'm going to be doing two to four bonus episodes a month. Um, and also the mainstream will be on there as well. Um, kind of early access for people. If I get that podcast done each week, a little bit early. So, um, yeah, please, uh, if you like the podcast, uh, sign up and uh, can interact. Um, uh, and, uh, speaking of which I want to shout out the, you know, first two Patreon members, which I should have done last week, but, um, uh, my number one first Patreon member was Brandon Legion, so thank you, Brandon. 
and I know he's going to be creating one at some point, so I think we'll kind of be canceling each other's donations out, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and uh, then uh, also Mike Wright, so thank you, um, both of you. Um, hopefully there'll be even more people uh, getting up on the Patreon, and um, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to grow it and um, do some cool uh, exclusive content on there that... Um, you know, I'm going to be doing a few things, uh, some getting it more in deeply into some occult subjects as well as um, maybe some um, going to do like a series about uh, kind of my classic albums, like, you know, that uh, um, real the important albums for me, like just talk about an album. Uh, so those are the type of some of the types of things that we're going to do on there. And, uh, you know, it's still growing. It's still, you know, uh, just something that I just started. So. Uh, we'll be, uh, you know, developing that. So uh, come be a part of it. It's $2 a month, like I said, so not much. And, uh, yeah, you'll get some uh, bonus content. Um, but, yeah, with all that being said, um, I think, uh, see if I'm trying to think what, uh, if there's anything else I want to talk about before I get into Brandon's episode. Um, for some reason, I've been kind of on a... Uh, I don't know, like, I've, all of a sudden I have, like, this Dracula kick, so, uh, well, I mean, I was watching all the Hammer movies, so, uh, which I want to try to go and watch all the Dracula Hammer movies in a row, but, uh, in particular, I've been wanting to rewatch Bram Stoker's Dracula from Francis Ford Coppola, so I just ordered the Steelbook version of that, and I'm going to give that a watch. So, I don't know. I think it would kind of be cool to talk about Dracula on the show at some point. So, maybe that'll be something coming up. We'll see. Um, but before we get into the the uh, the conversation with Brandon, I'm going to kick this off with um, with the classic uh, Laura Palmer's theme from the Twin Peaks soundtrack. So, hope you guys enjoy the show, and um, we'll talk to you later. Hail Satan.
Well, it's good to have you back on the podcast, Brandon. It's been uh, it's been a little bit. The last time you were on was um, uh, I'm trying to think. Was it we the Hellraiser did... one? Yeah, I guess so. Because I'm trying to remember because we did Hellraiser and then I did the uh, Ghost one on your podcast, and so yeah, yeah I guess, I, I guess I, it has. Yeah, I can't been remember all, which huh? one. Yeah, it's been a little while. So yeah, thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. So. I feel like you're on one other. T- uh, you're you were on <laughs> before since then, I think. And I'm trying to remember what it was for. Um, it's funny when you like, <laughs> like I know that we did another episode together. It might it may have been um doing like the uh, when I did my Braxis Horn project. Maybe we talked about that. Maybe that was the last one. Yeah, that that was indeed the last one. Yes, was yeah. yep. You're correct. Yeah. So I had you on like not too long ago, but I'm trying to remember. It was, uh, uh, what episode was that? Uh, oh, I don't know. I can't. Oh, yeah. Tw- episode 27. So a couple months ago. So, yeah. Well, time flies, man. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. I was like, I was thinking, I was like, no, I know we talked since then. Yeah. It was for Braxis Horn. So, but yeah, I was like thinking about um stuff we could do, and like I was like thinking about the uh, I was like, man, I really want to talk about uh, David Lynch. So that's what we're on to do today. <laughs> yeah, it's a great topic, I think, because I'm a huge David Lynch fan, so it works out great. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, Mike and Ralph did a Lynch episode, like I think it was like maybe a year ago or something, and uh, and I was thinking like uh you know i know you're a huge lynch fan i was like i think it'd be cool if we uh we talked about it so yeah definitely down man i appreciate you asking me for uh some david lynch talk that's always a good thing <laughs> yeah definitely yeah it's good to have you back on and you know i'm sure we'll be doing this more as well so the um what is it gonna so i i guess like kind of going this without like um I guess it's kind of a conversation about David Lynch, you know, like not necessarily like, oh, let's go through every movie or something really. But I mean, I figure we can specifically, um, if anything, I'd, you know, I feel like, you know, mainly I'd like to talk about like what I see as like his core movies, you know, like Blue Velvet, um, you know, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, you know, those, the, um, Twin Peaks, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, kind of maybe focus more on, on those. And then, um, but I guess, like, first of all, like, maybe let's just start it off with, um, uh, do you remember when you first got into, like, Lynch's movies? Like, do you remember what was the first movie you saw? Um, well, the first time I got into David Lynch, it was actually uh, before I saw any of his movies. It was uh, being a kid, and um, back, I think it was CBS at the time, but uh, my mom would watch Twin Peaks, the TV show. And that's what got me kind of like going on to like the whole David Lynch thing. And I just remember how like surreal and fucking weird it was even back then as a kid, not really able to understand it completely, you know, until I got older. But, you know, I think that's what really kicked everything off. And then when it comes to like uh, movies, I think it was uh, Firewalk with me was the first actual David Lynch movie I saw, you know, and that was after, the you know, the TV show and stuff. So. That's a pretty, um, pretty brutal first one to see in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> yeah 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 i 
it's funny because um, I'm trying to remember. It probably was that probably happened around the same time for me, but I remember seeing uh, Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive probably around the same time, and I can't remember. I think I saw Blue Velvet first, and then, mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot. Um, and then I remember my when Mulholland Drive came out. Uh, we rent my dad rented it. And so we were watching it, and um, I think I think Mulholland Drive was like the one that really solidified my like uh, being a fan of Lynch because um, you know Blue Velvet's obviously a great movie, but it's definitely like a little bit more of a normal movie in some ways, you know. Right. But seeing like Mulholland Drive and the kind of weird, almost like dreamlike quality of certain aspects of it and everything really just like i mean it grabbed me like and uh i think that seeing that was like the uh thing that really solidified me as a david lynch fan and then from there like i went and you know got into others of other movies of his like you know lost highway which is which is my favorite movie and uh uh twin peaks and twin peaks fire walk with me and all that kind of stuff you know yeah um yeah, I think with like Blue Velvet, I actually rewatched Blue Velvet um, this morning or whatever, just in preparation. Because I mean, I've seen Blue Velvet a bunch, but it's been a couple of years since I've went and rewatched it and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it definitely has more of a kind of a you know a crime you know thriller type thing going on. But it does start to like you know go into that dreamy type nightmare stuff too. You know what I mean? Not as much as the rest of his work, but it's definitely there, and you can see the beginnings of that. You know? Yeah, I think like. Like, um, like if you look at his career, you know, you got like obviously Eraserhead is a big important movie, and it's like very much like his nightmare nightmare world, you know, type of type of idea. You know what I mean? Like, I uh, saw so off the gate, he kind of like solidified a certain aspect of his style in a way, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Dave Lynch has ever made anything quite like Eraserhead since Eraserhead, you know? So I think that you could say that although Eraserhead definitely has that Lynch feeling and a lot of the Lynch style, it's a little bit different from, it's it's almost more of a straight like horror movie in a way, you know, like a nightmare horror movie. And, uh, and then you you had like Elephant Man, which, which was uh, again, like very different, you know, and it was not really his original Mm -hmm. story or anything. And then Dune, and then you feel like Blue Velvet was like where he kind of was like put all the pieces together and he was able to really dig into a lot of the kind of start digging into like the kind of obsessions and things that that run through everything else he's ever done. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, uh, totally. And I'm um, also with Blue Velvet. That was like the Kickstarter to Twin Peaks. From what I, I was reading, uh, like an interview with him or something, saying that's what really kickstarted off Twin Peaks and everything. So that's pretty cool to know. Oh, and really? there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities there too, like especially with like the town, like Lumberton, and you know the saw stuff, the saw mills, the wood. Like I think David Lynch has a thing for like fucking trees or something. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but you notice like with Twin Peaks and you know and with Blue Velvet, you know, a lot of sawmill type shit. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what's running through particularly blue velvet and twin peaks is it's a lot of the influence of, of where he grew up you know like growing up in like he grew up in like washington right i think at one point of it i think he was born 
wasn't he born in like Arizona or something, and then he grew up in Washington? I think. I forget exactly um, how that see. goes. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not. I think so. No, actually, I think he was born in uh, Montana. That's right. He's born in Montana. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then um, they, they moved. Oh, so they moved a lot. They moved to like North Carolina, Boise, Idaho, Virginia, like very transitory life when he was young. Mm-hmm. And then I think they settled down. Um, uh, let's see. So I guess he spent a lot of time growing up in Virginia, actually. And then I think he went out to, like, he spent time in Philadelphia when he made uh, Eraserhead. Yeah, so, okay, there you go. Like, but he did spend a lot of time in Montana and Idaho and those kind of places as a young child. So I think those kind of play a part in it. The funny thing, though, is I think Blue Velvet was filmed in North Carolina, though, wasn't it? I believe so. There's actually um, there's a Lumberton, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. So like that would make sense, you know, if that was actually maybe Lumberton, but it didn't. It didn't really look like it to me because I've been around that part before, you know. So I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I did look um, into it real quick. Let's see. I think that shooting Prince, yeah, it was filmed around Wilmington, North Carolina, North Carolina. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Wilmington's like they they get a ton of movies through there. Um, they also have a great metal scene, like especially for like Doom and uh, Stoner stuff. Like uh, Wilmington's awesome. There's a place called Reggie's Forty uh, Second Street Tavern there, and I think they've been in a few movies too. The bar, you know what I mean. So like it's just a a big film town and also a really cool place for like Doom and stuff. Cool. Is it yeah. is it like further north in North Carolina or is it like no? It's uh Wilmington is kind of kind of on the coast a little bit if i'm not mistaken it's like uh it's, it's not that far away from south carolina's border like say you're coming from like uh, myrtle beach going up to north carolina it's not that far away at all so oh, okay gotcha cool yeah yeah yes yeah, so that's where they filmed uh blue velvet i think uh in a way it, i remember reading that uh you know this blue velvet was financed by dino de laurentis and it was like uh uh, I mean, he had done uh, Dune, and I think to a certain extent, Blue Velvet was a little bit of him making it up to 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 David Lynch for the kind of mess that Dune was, you know? <laughs> right. Like with Blue Velvet, you know, just like funded it and kind of was like, uh, you know, do what you want, David. Like, you know, you have free free reign, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, like make your own movie. Even though I do like Dune, I like his version of Dune. I know David Lynch didn't like his version of Dune, but I enjoyed it. Just for the utter like uh, weirdness of it, you know, and the way they portrayed like the Baron and his people and stuff like that. That's the way I portrayed them when I was, uh, you know, reading the books when I was younger and stuff. That's what they looked like to me. I was like, you know, and that's what they, that his version looked like, you know, I had like, I don't know, almost like a Cenobite type feel to him. Right. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen his version of Dune since I was a kid, to be honest. It's one that I need to revisit, you know, I remember yeah, watching. Totally. I remember watching my dad like getting it from the, getting like renting it or something like back like you know when I was a kid and I I, I remember like what they looked like and stuff but uh I, it's one that I hadn't gone back to actually. Oh, I definitely recommend that. And it was a uh, streaming on HBO. They had like some kind of like HD version of it, and it looks great. Like you know, it looks really good, and it's 
uh, withstood the you know test of time and everything. And uh, but you know, still like most people hate it. You know, a lot of people love it. It's kind of like in between there. I happen to like it a lot. I don't love it, but I do think it's cool. Well, I do think that uh, I think it was a pretty like nightmarish like shoot for Lynch himself, which is probably coloring a little bit of why he doesn't like it anymore. But you know. I mean, I think it was a learning experience for him. And, you know, it is interesting that that was the last time he's really done something that's like an adaptation, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of funny because he got his start because of um, Mel Brooks. Like uh, Mel Brooks loved Eraserhead so much that he had David Lynch direct uh, uh, Elephant Man, you know. Oh, that's cool. Didn't know that. Yeah. Mel Brooks uh, produced Elfin Man. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I've only seen Elfin Man like once when I was younger. I don't even remember shit about that. I just know it's based off of, you know, a real guy, the Elephant Man. So, yeah. I haven't seen that since I was younger either. um, Yeah. Elfin Man and Dune are like the, uh, and Wild at Heart are like, I I guess Wild at Heart's an adaptation as well, isn't it? Yeah. I always forget about Wild um, at Heart. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but I, I really enjoy Wild at Heart. That's a adaptation of what is it called here? It's uh damn it, I'm trying to look it up real fast because there's another movie that's kind of like the uh sister movie to it. I'm trying to figure where it's at. Uh well, I can't find it right now, but any it is an adaptation of something there. Um like a book or something like that, but um it definitely feels like David Lynch. I mean, that movie is fucking insane. <laughs> Yeah, then that, Wild Heart is one that I always forget about. So it's been a while since I watched it last time, but I I remember like it's pretty pretty out, out there. It's uh it's yeah, that, it's I think to me is oh sorry, go ahead. I was just say it's one of the ones that that uh yeah I've only probably seen once, you know. So I I really need to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially if you only seen it once, like going back now and just seeing how insane that movie is. Like, you know, it's Nicolas Cage, like, let loose pretty much, do what you want to do. And on top of that, like, it's just filled with a bunch of random fucking crazy shit. Because I rewatched it uh, last year. I was like, God damn, this is good. But I forgot how nuts it is. You know, it <laughs> makes it even better for me. I, I like those type of, type of movies. You know, it's like, total uh, nightmare type shit you know it has that lynchian feel to it like it should you know even if it's an adaptation or not but right yeah the um yeah blue velvet i think um my favorite part one of my favorite parts about it is uh fucking um uh oh my god uh frank booth um (laughs) dennis hopper's character you know frank booth like the uh so just like his lines and stuff are so crazy like i quote them like all the time you know like yeah dude he's so un un unwound in that one <laughs> yeah like he's fucking like and, and that's the thing like when i was when i was younger um i found i found it like really brutal to watch like you know like the the scene of isabel rossellini and stuff and then when I got older, mm-hmm. I actually started finding some of it like kind of humorous in a weird way, <laughs> you know, like because it's so yeah. like over the top and and uh, I don't know, it's it's just it, it 
I think maybe part of it's because it's so crazy and uncomfortable that kind of you just kind of it's hard not to like kind of like laugh at, at it because it's so crazy. You know, he's like like doing the fucking like uh, the what are the nitrous and, and getting all mm-hmm. crazy and he's like, mommy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my fa- one of my favorite parts is when he beats up um, um, Kyle Kyle uh, and the uh, and like you know he takes him for a joyride. You know what I mean? And yeah. I love like when they go to that one place with the uh, with um oh what's his name um I forget his name the the where they go to like whatever that place is with like the kind of overweight prostitutes and stuff like that and there's just like all right. this like detail in the background all these weird things that Dave Lynch made that that you don't realize until you look at like stills from it you know yeah. And then I love the part where he fucking goes out there, like in the car to go out and he plays like the, you know, plays the Roy Orbison song, like in dreams. And mm-hmm. he's like doing this shit. And then he like beats him up while, and my, my favorite detail about that is that the one of the overweight, like prostitute ladies, like gets up on top of the cars and like dancing around, like all awkwardly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just so like fucking crazy. <laughs> it was so fucking strange. I, I like when, um, the guy from uh, Quantum Leap, uh, Dean Stockwell, was doing a song with the light. You know, he's he's singing with like the the mechanic light on him and stuff. I thought that was fucking eerie as shit. Yeah, yeah, Dean Stockwell. I'm trying to remember his name. I love I love the parts of Dean Stockwell. Like he's just so like fucking odd and you know like like super like ma- all this makeup and you know. Yeah, he's like he's suave. He's so suave. <laughs> <laughs> he's a suave motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he's so suave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like so weird. <laughs> Heineken, fuck Heineken, pass the ribbon. <laughs> yeah, PBR. Wow, <laughs> it's just so funny. It's so funny looking back now to you because pass the ribbon is like the hipster beer. Oh yeah, totally hipster beer, man. Like F- I fucking I, hate yeah. Pabst. I think yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Bad. <laughs> I don't really drink, so but you know when I if I do have a beer occasionally, it won't. It definitely won't be that. <laughs> no, definitely not. But yeah, I, I just think I think the cool thing, the other cool thing of Blue Velvet is like the whole idea of like a setup, like in the opening shots of like you got this like what looks on the outside like this perfect like suburban world, you know, but then mm-hmm. underneath it there's all this rot and crime and violence and you know, um, but I think the thing with Lynch is that. I, I don't think he re- he wants to show that that these two things exist by together, mm-hmm. but I think there's a part of him that also doesn't necessarily invalidate the kind of like exterior kind of the the good things about this kind of suburban you know all American type of life. You know what I mean? I don't think he's really doing this to be like all oh, this stuff's like bullshit, but he's tr- just showing that there is like this kind of dark cd underside of of all america you know what i mean and and in a way i also feel like it's also like um psychological like in all and this goes through a lot of his movies where there's there's this idea of like the exterior uh, persona and then as they confronting the dark side you know within you know right yeah there's like a a beautiful like um you know outside but you know inside's fucking evil and dark and you know there's always like an underbelly or you know underworld to everything i guess yeah and i think i think sometimes with a lot of those movies like with this with blue velvet i feel like kyle mclaughlin's character is like 
uh, very fascinated by this dark side. And so he wants to go into it and, and experience it. And then he come and kind of comes out at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. He starts off really like Mr. Wholesome, all American guy, you know, and then slowly he makes that spiral into like, you know, complete darkness and some fucked up shit. You know what I mean? Like he comes out totally different at the end, you know? Yeah. The funny part though, is that there are deleted, there was deleted scenes that's on like the Blu-ray that, um, where I guess um, initially, if, like uh, Kyle was supposed, his character was supposed to be um, like peeping on on girls at at college and stuff. Like they shot scenes where he's like <laughs> hiding in oh, girls. Wow. Like yeah. So, but then Lynch decided to cut that part of it. But yeah, it's kind of funny. Like he even said that 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 character was in a way like his stand-in, you know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also heard something too about um, you know how they got an f bomb, and I get, I think the f bombs used like fucking fifty or sixty times in this movie. But uh, yeah, <laughs> David Lynch wrote all this stuff, but David Lynch didn't want to speak it. Like whenever you tell them, you know, you gotta say fuck for this, he would just write it out because he didn't want to like say fuck. You know? <laughs> and Dennis Hopper thought that was totally weird or whatever. So yeah, Dennis <laughs> Hopper sounds like David so Lynch. Funny. Yeah, he thought it was so funny that yeah. David Lynch didn't want to say fuck. Yeah, and he's all. <laughs> The other thing that's funny about it is like uh, Dennis Hopper was like kind of like um, I mean he had just gotten done being like super addicted to drugs and all that stuff he went through like uh, uh, rehab and everything and no one wanted to hire him and then he got the script and he like called up David Lynch he's like I, I, I need to be this part I am Frank Booth <laughs> this is what he literally said to yeah. David Lynch and uh, he gave it to him. And I guess, I mean, probably Dan Sopper wouldn't have had a career after this if, if it wasn't for David Lynch, you know? And, oh, yeah, uh, totally. He... What's that? Go ahead. Oh, I said, yeah, totally. I was just screaming with you there. And I heard uh, Dennis Hopper was, like, super, like, um, he was, like, super, like, set on making sure that that everything went well and you know if he would like yell at people uh if they aren't paying enough attention to david lynch and stuff (laughs) (laughs) just like crazy person yeah he was wild man yeah he he was supposed to be really wild on set and this in real life in general like he was a wild dude yeah i mean i don't think he's joking like he is frank booth Yeah, I I don't think he was acting too much with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think Blue Velvet is definitely to me it's like a it's definitely like a noir movie, you know. You got the femme fatale, yeah. you got the like investigator character who's like engaging with the seedy side of life, like it really is straight up like a noir, you know. Yeah, and that's definitely David Lynch's like kind of signature too, because a lot of his films feel like that. Especially like Lost Highway has that that feel to it, you know. Um, even Twin Peaks has that feel to it. Yeah, definitely, and um, I think Mulholland Drive does as well, you know. So, the, oh um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that kind of noir, uh, old Hollywood like type of stuff is like very important for Lynch, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Wild at Heart is definitely the one that uh, that I don't I haven't seen that much, but I know that I think it was after Wild at Heart was when Twin Peaks like came out, right? 
Yeah, because I think Wild at Heart came out right after Blue Velvet, if I'm not mistaken. Then I think uh, Twin Peaks started after that. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Twin Peaks was like a was an isn't a collaboration with him and um, was it Mark Frost? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I don't know. Do what do you think of the show itself? Like, do you do you like all both the seasons, like all the way through? Oh, I love the um, first two seasons. I still haven't watched the newer one that came out on uh, Showtime. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't gotten to that yet, because I should, but I fucking love the first two original seasons. There's something like, I don't know, magical or otherworldly about them. Like, I usually watch them at night before I go to bed or something like that, just to, like, put me in that dream-like feeling, you know, because they do that so well. It's just something otherworldly about them. It's hard to explain. They just you know, they take me back or something. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. They're great. I haven't seen the third season either, but um, the uh, uh, there's like a a DVD box that you can get for like thirty dollars that I need to order that has like all three seasons on it. No, that's not bad. That's a good deal. I've been watching them on like uh, they're they're streaming on like Paramount, I think now because they were on Hulu and I think they love Hulu and I think they're all on like Paramount Plus now. You know, they always switch shit up, but I think that's where they're at now. So that's what I've been watching them at. Yeah, the last time I watched Twin Peaks was on Netflix still because this was this was a few years ago. Yeah, I remember when they were on there too. I was following it on there. I, I I kind of followed Twin Peaks to whatever app they go to since right. I don't have the fucking you know box set, which I should, but I don't. But yeah, I want to wear a box set, but I uh, I need. I was hoping to get the the Inland Empire Blu-ray because it just came out a few days ago, but. I haven't gotten it yet, so I had, I didn't get a chance to rewatch in when Empire before this. So. Yeah, that's one I haven't watched near as much as everything else he's done. Yeah, so that's one I need to get to actually. Yeah, the Blu-ray literally just came out like three days ago or something. So the Criterion. Yeah. So I know I'm going to be ordering that on as soon as I can. The um, yeah. we had a. I think the thing that's great about Twin Peaks is that it's like uh, um. It's again like it's. I think it's it's again like getting into that same thing as Blue Velvet, where it's like this like you know, wholesome all American like type of city in a way, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of well, it's kind of a quirky you know like all American type of city, but uh and uh you know there's like some fucked up shit going on, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's yeah, like, a lot of fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah, and then. And it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, like a sweater where you start pulling on it and starts coming undone. I feel like Twin Peaks is like that. Like you got this sweater, which is this exterior of like what, you know, persona of the city and the residence. And as uh, Dale Cooper like starts like pulling at it, uh, it comes undone, you know, and there's more, just more and more horror, you know, coming out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, and also too with the Twin Peaks, like like you're saying, there's that glossy coat over all the like bad shit that's going on in the. Uh, I think uh, David Lynch encouraged actors to overact that way. It has like that uh, soap opera feel to it, you know, mm-hmm. with like the you know just the weird like silences here and there, the weird pauses, and like I said the overacting and everything. And I think that adds just another like weird fucking you know layer to it. Yeah, and that's definitely a uh, a David Lynch like kind of trademark. I feel like you know, and doing these kind of this kind of stuff, and then 
Hornedark kind of overacting. There's weird pauses. Sometimes it feels kind of wooden or stilted. Like it, there's like this kind of like obvious like you know, um, I guess uh, fakeness. Sometimes you know, like there's like a. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. trying to think what the word is, but it's very like you can see, you can tell that there's like this kind of um, pretense to it, and to a certain extent, you know, like uh, artifice. Like there's sometimes it's artificial, but I think it's purposely artificial because he's kind of getting at something else going on underneath the surface, you know. Right. Which I think comes out a lot when you have like this kind of dialogue, but then like you know in some of his movies or or whatever you have like this kind of stilted dialogue, but then there's like this kind of uh, unnerving like music going on just underneath it, you know. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of music with the uh, Twin Peaks, uh, Laura's song is like one of the darkest, fucking most most like haunting you know songs in any TV show or movie ever. I think <laughs> one of them. You know what I mean. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I love, I love the 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 Laura's song and like the, the theme and everything. Like, um, and I mean, it's so influential too. I mean, particularly like if you play like you know Silent Hill or those kinds of games, like you can tell they got a big amount of their musical inspiration from this from the show. You know. Oh yeah, totally. And also with the lore song too, that's like one of my major influences of picking up a fucking keyboard and doing like synthy stuff. Is <laughs> that song that that song there, man? Because it's so dark and haunting. It, it it's like an earworm that never leaves, which earworms usually do leave after some time, but not that song. That stays there forever with me. Yeah, definitely. And I I love the uh, Julie Cruz music, like that. Um, I think there was some of it in Blue Velvet as well, but particularly of Twin Peaks, like, um, you know, the Julie Cruz stuff is, like, fucking uh, amazing. Like, her first album is sick. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, David Lynch, like, like wrote a lot of that music on the first Julie Cruz album. Oh, that's cool. Didn't know that. Pretty sure. Like, I know he was pretty instrumental in, in kind of forming, you know, doing getting her career going and all that kind of stuff and using her music, like, in Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks and everything and um yeah i just i love like her music like that first uh album was sick and uh, it really has you know has that that feeling of uh i don't know every time i listen to the twin peaks soundtrack or listen to julie cruz album you know there's this like dark like kind of haunting feeling to it you know oh yeah totally agree with that um and of course, with with Twin Peaks, you also have the whole uh, uh, mythology of the 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 Black Lodge and all this stuff, which I can't say that I understand all of that. You know what I mean? But I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to understand all of that. I, I still don't. I've I've seen that show so many times. You know, rewatched it and stuff like that, and I still don't know what's going on with that. But I just know it's fucking cool and uh, super weird. <laughs> you know, and it's like. I don't think we're supposed to know what's really going on there. I think the only person who knows that is David Lynch. Yeah. And I really like the kind of idea, like, and of course, like, you know, getting into Twin Peaks and say also getting into Firewalk with me when you're dealing with like Laura Palmer and, um, and, and her dad and Bob and all this stuff. Like, I know there's a lot of people who kind of put forward the, um, the idea that, 
you know, Bob could either be a the an action an entity from this Black Lodge. You know what I mean? Which it mm-hmm. seems to be what that's the case. That's like possessing Leland. You know, mm-hmm. I know some people believe that that Bob is just like a psychic a projection that Laura Palmer's putting on onto her dad to not think that he's doing this awful stuff to her, you know? So I guess some people read right. it that way, that, that Bob isn't actually like an entity or something. It's just like her like projecting like to like save herself, save her, you know? So because it's too horrific for her to realize that, that her father's doing this, you know, molesting her and all this stuff, you know what I mean? But right, like, and they kind of touch on that more with a firewall too. Yeah, I think of firewall with me, thing, you know, with the old dad stuff. Yeah, I feel like firewall with me. It becomes a, with the show. It seems like more like straightforward that Bob's like a entity, you know. Um, mm-hmm. with firewall with me, I feel like it's a little bit harder to tell if he is or not, you know, or if it is a psychic projection, but. I kind of I feel like if you have this black lodge and you have all this stuff going on, I feel like there is something to it, like that that maybe he is being possessed by this entity, you know? Because right, sure. Also, people will see Bob will be there in shots where you know Leland isn't, you know, like in the TV show, like Bob's like peeking over behind like the the couch and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, and he's not even there, so. I feel like I feel like he is like a some type of entity that's there, you know. Yeah, he's definitely a some type of su- supernatural something, you know, because he's this he pops in like that, you know. You don't see him coming; he's just there, creeping, you know, like <laughs> creepy shit. Yeah, it's real creepy. Like, and yeah, I think I think <laughs> Firewalk with me is like uh, that's a brutal fucking movie in a lot of ways. Like, it's it's very like horrific you know by the time you get to the end you just feel like you've been on like you feel like i don't know you feel kind of dirty and you feel like you've been like run like put put through like a fucking mill you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i definitely get that same feeling from that yeah like watching her like kind of spiral and like it's kind of drugs and prostituting herself and doing all this stuff and then at the end like she's like murdered you know like it's so brutal like and depressing you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah, it's a lot more brutal than the actual TV show itself, I think. You know, TV show is still really dark, but I think the movie is a lot more brutal. Yeah, I think what the TV show has this kind of quirky elements to it, you know, that can kind of soften the underlying story and darkness in a lot of ways. Where Firewalk mm-hmm. with Me is just like straight up just a dark, tragic, like brutal show, you know what I mean? Or movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they pro- they probably did that too with the movie because the TV show was on like CBS or NBC back in the day, so they probably had some you know rules and stuff they had to go around and stuff since it wasn't like a premium cable channel where they couldn't get away with a lot of shit. So yeah, well it's it's funny too because um, I guess David Lynch kind of got frustrated with the series towards the end of it, and um, you know the show didn't I think it ended with like kind of like you know like a lot of questions unanswered. And it's interesting because when Firewalk with Me came out, there was a lot of people who were mad because um, because it didn't answer any of those questions because it's literally just a telling of of Laura Palmer's life, you know, like 
and then I think a lot of people also were upset because they wanted the quirky, like weirdo, like town stuff, you know, and the movie is, doesn't have really any of that. It's like a brutal meditation on death. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you feel like, and I feel like that, that kind of kicked off for especially dark period for Lynch, because I mean, if you think about it, the fact that this next movie is lost highway and they share a lot of, in a lot of ways, some similarities, but lost highways, like if anything, like even darker, you know? <laughs> yeah. To me, lost highway is like David Lynch is almost straight up type horror movie. You know what I mean? Like it's had, it has the most horror elements and I think anything he's done in my opinion, you know, yeah, I would say, I mean, I think Eraserhead's pretty, pretty like nightmare-ish, you know? It's a very nightmare movie, yeah. but um, and I think uh, Firewalk Me is definitely like more of a horror movie, but I think Lost That Way definitely is the one that has uh, a lot of the most horror elements to it. Yeah, and that's also my favorite David Lynch film is Lost Highway. I fucking love that movie. I even did a song, um, you know, inspired by that one. That's on the um, Abraxas Horn album. So and I did a little, like, video edit thing I did with the picture of, uh, uh, was it Richard Blake or whatever, you know? I think he just passed away, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he just died, like, pretty recently, I think a week or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember him getting in a bunch of trouble for shooting his wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. He's not a very good dude. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, but he played a fucking creepy uh, mystery man really well. <laughs> yeah, I don't think too much acting was involved there either. I think that a lot of that was him. <laughs> he was a creepy dude. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. it's like I think he did, was like a, did a lot of drugs and yeah, yeah, I mean, shoot his wife and got away with it. You know. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah, I mean, I fuck Lost Highway is is one hundred percent like my favorite Lynch movie. Like um, I, everything about the movie to me, like I just love it. Like I love the the atmosphere of it. Like throughout the whole movie, um, I like how the the first it's it has got it's got a noir feeling from beginning to end. But I feel like the first half with with the Bill Pullman is like a. Uh, it's very much that's like where the horror element comes in the most because i mean it's it's very much like a horror setup you know it's like um you know you're in the situation where you know bill pullman's kind of obviously like frustrated like a uh, musician like he thinks his wife's cheating on him you know all this stuff and then what happens you start getting these weird videotapes you know that <laughs> somebody's like filming you while you sleep you know what i mean yeah, I mean, how how fucked up would that be? You know, that's that's pretty damn scary. You got somebody like videotaping you while you're sleeping, you know, in your most like vulnerable state. <laughs> no, fuck that, man. And also the way, you know, one thing I always thought about with the videotape is that it's it's kind of um, it's 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 literally shot like somebody's floating in the air above you. You know, it's not shot like a human being would shoot a, a videotape. You know what I mean? It's right, like, yeah, it's like a you know, floating entity or something, you know. That's what I think. I think it definitely is like some type of like floating like entity. I think, uh, I think it might even be the mystery man himself. You know what I mean? Like watching them, and um, 
there is a, they have a book called a satanic screen um by nicholas shrek and he actually mm-hmm. thinks that the mystery man is actually a say like a kind of satanic figure and that the bill pullman character kind of um hmm. uh you know does the deal with the devil in a way you know what i mean and um huh that's interesting but of that yeah, he kind of sees it as almost like, you know, like a pack type of thing, like uh, where, uh, you know, he um, comes in and he, like, you know, helps him, like, achieve, like, this stuff. I You know, I don't know. I mean, I also kind of see it as being, like, uh, um, like, I know a lot of people try to read, like, the second half as just being, like, maybe a fantasy from Bill Pullman, but... um. I don't know mm-hmm. if it is. I mean, I don't necessarily, you know, if you take it literally, it's like he literally changes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he literally swaps yeah. bodies with this other guy, you know, like, but I don't know if it's literal because it seems like it could be just a retelling of, of his his life and like his fantasy. I don't know. It's hard to say, but it feels like on some level, there's some type of like, um, I don't know, like, cause, cause in in the second half he's interacting with people who uh, he saw in the first half, right, and everything. But um, uh, like Dick Guermont or whatever is like that uh, the gangster guy in the second one, right? You know, that second half that he kills, yeah. right? Uh, people think, yeah. I mean, it's very, it's kind of confusing, like to wrap your head on how does it, how would it make sense? I don't know if it does make sense. I feel like. I do feel like there's a certain element of being in a, in a loop, like the whole movie is, is a loop, you know? And um, it could be, you know, if you were to look at a certain level, you could look at almost like dimensional, like, you know, he's in this one dimension, it's this Bill Pullman character, and transfers and transforms into this other dimension as a Balthazar Getty character. But then, you know, at the en- in the end, he still loses the girl, you know what I mean? And he's kind of shown like, yeah, like this is all like he has like this kind of devil satanic figure, like um, kind of like you know mocking him in a way. You know what I mean? Like and um, and it just kind of goes on this like eternal loop with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. That's kind of one of the readings I have. That's a really good theory. I think that's kind of where I'm leaning at too. Like it's a almost like an interdimensional thing. And uh, he loses in both of these different like realities, you know, inter- d- different dimensions, different realities. He still loses. And, and like the mystery man's like, you know, tell him, uh, you know, you, you fail on both sides. You know, I'll give you a chance on this other, other side here, but you're still, it's going to, the same outcome's going to happen. You're still going to lose. Yeah, exactly. There's this kind of, and I mean, you could look at it like on like a psychological point of view and that, that, that uh yeah he's um uh losing he's trying to grasp hold of like this kind of the, this fem this feminine and you know like as the bill pullman character he's like kind of seems to be almost kind of a pathetic man in some ways you know what i mean like he's like very jealous and he's like obviously uh can't perform in bed and has like a lot of like uh insecurities and stuff like that and uh, right. and in the end, like the way they do, he deals with that is by murdering her. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. There, and uh, I know that um, 
Lynch also described it. I forget what the term was. It's something fugue state. Like there's a state that certain people do and they like murder somebody where they almost like forget that they did it, you know? So mm. I guess that was an element to to the story as well. Um but I think on another level with Lynch movies, you can just look at it as just what it is and you know, like you have this first half of him like murdering his wife and then the second half is this like alternate, like even more noirish type of story where it's like he's, you know, you know, having sex with this beautiful woman who's like, you know, like the uh you know, having this affair and she's like, you know, with this like mobster guy you know what i mean like and it's like getting taken mm-hmm. to this dangerous cd type of world you know uh with like you know marilyn manson like being in a snuff film <laughs> whatever you know <laughs> right yeah it's again like this kind of dangerous cd side of la with like pornography and prostitutes and drugs and but it's like also like a little bit of a higher class side of it. It's not like the street, street, street stuff of all that. It's like this kind of the kind of seedy stuff that's going on with like the kind of Hollywood elite. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and that There's really a scene too, like when he's in the gang. Oh, sorry, I was over talking you there. <laughs> oh, you're right, dude. What are you gonna say? I was saying there's a scene in there when he's in the in the second half of the film where he's in the uh the gangsters like mansion or whatever and it's got that uh Rammstein song come on and you know when talking about all the fire and shit starts happening and stuff like that. And that's a great scene. Yeah, it's the one where the the pimp guy like like uh smashes his head on the on the like they kill that guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and that yeah, that scene's great and that I feel like uh, it's a big quality of the movie that that really does remind me of of I don't know like L.A. noir stuff that you know like uh, James O'Reilly or something you know what I mean like mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential or something like uh, yeah I can definitely see that and there's a lot of noir stuff where yeah it's like about this kind of you got these the femme fatale and uh, and um, oh man what's her name who played uh, Patricia Arquette, like, is like um, Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she's playing the femme fatale in both, both, uh, you know, as the brunette and as blonde. You know. Hmm. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Big fan of hers. She's still awesome now. She's in that uh, Apple TV show called Severance. So, have you seen that? I haven't seen no one yet. I didn't know she was in that too. Yeah, she plays a a very diabolical boss type character or whatever. I definitely recommend that show. It's one of the best TV shows out right now, and it's on Apple. Severance definitely want to check that out. And yeah, you get to see her in it too, so that's always a plus. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, she was doing that Medium show for a while as well, which I never watched, but she mm. did. She did that show for a fucking long time, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I just love this, and I love the soundtrack to this movie. It's like one of my favorite soundtracks for uh, from Lynch. Like, I like if you want to listen to the album, you got like the songs, and then you got like because you know, like it was like T- Trent Reznor mm-hmm. helped put together the soundtrack when you know Angela, 
Badamante is doing like his music as well. So you got like this great mix of like his music and then you got like, you know, Nine Inch Nails and all this stuff going on at the same time. And I think it's just like it's so great. Yeah, it's one of the best movie soundtracks ever. I rank it up there with the soundtrack to The Crow, which is also really awesome. And also the soundtrack to Demon Knight. Like those three are like the best movie soundtracks, I think. Yeah, I mean I need to rewatch Demon Knight. I actually just bought it like last Halloween season. I meant to watch it and I hadn't watched it, but so I don't really remember the soundtrack for that one, but Oh, Demon Knight is a ten ten movie, man, like perfect movie to me. And it still holds up. It's still just as good as it was when I first watched it. And the soundtrack is just as good as the movie almost. Like definitely want to watch it. I, I will leave it for like maybe Halloween of this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I bought it last year and I didn't get around to watching it for Halloween last year. So yeah, I definitely. Like I like the the double pack that has that one in Bordello of Blood. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I got that on DVD somewhere. Uh, Bordello of Blood uh, is nothing compared to like Demon Knight. You know, it's fun, <laughs> but it's like uh, it's really cheesy. It, it it definitely has that uh Tales from the Crypt feel to it where Demon Knight kind of doesn't really feel like a Tales from the Crypt episode. It's like its own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've heard uh, Bordello Blood is pretty, is not great. And uh, and there's actually even, um, there's a pod, uh, did you, have you listened to that podcast that um, like uh, Mick Garris talked about with, um, uh, what's his name, the, the producers of Tales from the Crypt and they did like a podcast called like How Not to Make a Movie which is like literally just about yeah. Bordello of Blood and what a nightmare it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that episode with Mick. Yeah, that was a good one. And yeah, uh, and I <laughs> but you know what? Going back and looking at oh, it's not as bad as it used to be. Like when I was a kid watching it for the first time, being super disappointed in Bordello of Blood. So I thought it was going to be like a straight up like awesome vampire movie. But, you know, watching it now, it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, this is bad, but it's, you know, it's a good bad now, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it has, you know, at, at its heart had a good concept, but like, yeah, like, I think the biggest problem probably is, uh, Den- what's his name, Dennis Miller or whatever, the main guy in it, because he's just not very good in oh, it. Oh, he's horrible. Yeah. No, uh, I'm and- not a fan of Dennis Miller or his comedy. He's, he's so fucking boring. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I never uh, knew how he got famous, but it's, yeah, not my thing. Yeah, I don't get it either. And and they he was forced upon the producer's for that movie as well like they didn't want him in that part like they were like fighting it and the you know the studio basically is like you're gonna have a minute or we're gonna or you're not gonna make the movie so like they uh they are like very like upset and he, he like i guess was an asshole like the whole time they made the movie and like made it quite clear that he didn't give a fuck about it he's just doing it for a paycheck yeah he so, doesn't even like horror movies from what i hear he's yeah uh, he's pretty horrible <laughs> But yeah, the um, yeah, I would definitely say Lost Highway soundtrack is like, uh, yeah, ten out of ten. It's like one of the best ever, I think. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite songs. Like, I love the the Smashing Pumpkin song on it. The I, I think it's like one of the best oh, yeah. songs. Yeah, one of their best songs. And that yeah, was so, them in their prime. Yeah, it was like I think. Probably around the time they did that, uh, the Adore album. So it's got that kind of more like goth feeling to it. And yeah. Yeah. Great album. That was one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin albums is Adore. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, just, I think the Lost Highway soundtrack from beginning to end has that like real 
like has the feeling of the movie this kind of dark kind of sexy feeling to the whole thing like mm-hmm. but it's also like menacing feeling like yeah like i just i like love this movie i think it's definitely like one of my favorite movies of all time yeah same here it's in my top 10 of all time and that's saying a lot because you know it's always subjected to change but you know with this one it stays there like it's not going anywhere <laughs> yeah no definitely not like i think it's a uh yeah it's a great movie and i think I've, it's definitely um yeah well it's, ever since i saw it the first time it's always been my favorite lynch movie um yeah and then um I feel like Mulholland Drive shares a lot of similar similarities with Lost Highway in a way, but like yeah. it's got the same type of structure where it's two parts kind of. Well, the first part's longer than the second part, but it's kind of split has this split. But the funny thing with Mulholland Drive was that it was originally supposed to be a pilot for a, a TV show. Right. And and when you know that, it makes a lot more sense because the first half does feel a lot like a pilot in a way. Like it feels like um, they're setting up like all these characters and all these things. And then, you know, uh, because it wasn't, didn't became a movie and not a TV show. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that that's just kind of left and, you know, you just kind of go, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, they gave him all this money to go shoot this thing and shoot this pilot. And then he just had all this footage because they decided not to do anything with it. And uh, he's like, let's try to make it into a movie. And I guess, you know, he did his meditation stuff that he does. And, and uh, all of a sudden had like some type of like moment where he realized, Oh, here's how I can fit it together and close it out into a movie. And that's when he came up with the second part and he got everybody together again. And they filmed the second half. I think I would have liked to see this as a TV show myself. You know, I like I love this film, but I think it would have been a cool TV show to really kind of drag it out, you know? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think it would have been really cool, like, if it was more of a, a TV show. And I think it probably wouldn't have ended up going the way it, that it did. Like, I think that the concluding part of the show, of the TV show, of the movie, rather, I don't think would have been where the show was going necessarily because I think the show itself was obviously setting up like a more of a mystery. You know what I mean? Like it was again like a murder mystery type of show. You know, right? Where you have like um, and maybe it would have ended up in the same place, but I feel like it pr- would have been more developed. You know? Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Again, it does have like a noir feeling. It feels like very much more of him portraying Hollywood in a way, like in the studio system. And like, I love the whole part where uh, I feel like he's like really taking the piss out of like Hollywood and the whole part with like um, the mobster people are like, this is the girl, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like that's him like really like kind of like satirizing the Hollywood system, you know? Oh yeah, I definitely I see that as well. Like, yeah, especially with this one. And uh, yeah, I I think like I found this movie really interesting when because you know, like I said, it was in the first one. This first one, you know, I saw Blue Velvet, and I, this was the one that really solidified it for me. And I think it's because the atmosphere of it, just like for me, really does grab me, like from the beginning. 
like the whole like really atmospheric shots of like Mulholland Drive and and L.A. and you know you're watching this like um, limousine going up the road and uh, you don't know and then all of a sudden like they pull a gun on her and and you don't know what's going on and you know like it creates this like mystery from the beginning you know and uh yeah it also has like a slow droney feel to it as well too you know what i mean like almost like droney doom metal or something like that you know it's very slow and building and you know ominous yeah exactly like there's this kind of like slow like unfolding of what's going on and uh and then um um oh what's what's her name uh, i love the that that character that, that uh chick or um I always forget her last name. Like the late the the brunette in the movie, you know, like uh, uh, Laura Herring. Is it Laura yeah. Herring? Yeah, that's her name. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember watching this movie. I had such a big crush on her after watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, like, and then you have uh, Na- uh, what's it, Naomi Watts? Is her name? Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think this came out. Was this before the ring? Um, I'm not sure. I think it was. Yeah, this came out 2001. I, th- I think it was uh, just right before the ring. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um. But yeah, we can, and she's in it. And I think this one, I think it's really funny with her character is that she's very much a ah oh, shucks, like I'm straight from like Idaho. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's sometimes it's she's definitely given that that kind of like uh, soap opera e like uh, quality to her a little bit, you know. It's Betty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just, but then it's really interesting because if you contrast her in that first part with being like this kind of all American girl type of type of character to at the end and how she is in the later half of it it's really like you're like oh wow like it's like really like totally different you know what i mean right yeah she's kind of she starts off all like innocent stuff and kind of gets a bit corrupted i guess as the film goes on right but and you get to the end and when when everything shifts and i think that's what's really interesting when, again the movie things shift and I mean, it does really does seem like maybe the first part of the movie is like this kind of fantasy, you know, mm-hmm. and that when you get to that, that blue box and they unlock the box with the key and everything like that, that it, the whole thing kind of falls apart, you know, and, and we're seeing like reality at the end, you know, mm-hmm. it almost seems like that. I mean, uh, until she kills herself. I mean, I don't know, you know, if that is reality or not. I mean, it's a pretty depressing ending, though. It is. Like, and, uh, yeah, the key is, like, uh, is that she had to, had her killed, you know? And so, yeah, it's almost like she's sleeping, like, and this is fantasy, and then she can't, like, escape from the reality of what she's actually done, and then she ends up killing herself. Like, that's, that's, I feel like it is pretty, like, clear, but, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's, like, a lot of different interpretations of the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's another David Lynch film for you. Like, it's kind of open to different possibilities. Um, I think I think that was the thing. Like, I remember I remember the sensation watching this movie and 
and that feeling of like you're watching a movie and it all kind of makes sense, even though it's kind of weird, you know, and then all of a sudden it shifts and you're like in a whole different, everything's different. Like you don't even know what's going on really. And I remember that feeling and that experience of seeing that for the first time and just falling in love with that idea that, yeah, like this is awesome. Like, like we're, we're creating, he's creating something that's so like, it's kind of divorced from like, you know, like, expectations of how a movie should should go you know what i mean right you know nobody else does it like him either you know like there's like stuff that comes out now doesn't even come close to feeling like a a david lynch film you know david lynch his films are you know uniquely his especially when it comes to the stuff like you're saying there like these sudden changes and stuff like that's total like stuff out of your dreams you know that's how my dreams go like could be like the same person talking different face you know what i mean this weird shit like that yeah exactly i do think that it it manages to with lynch he can manage to bring up more of that feeling of how dreams are like the artifice and in a way that for me like there's times in my dreams where everything's shifting constantly you know and and or you mm-hmm. literally go from one situation you dream and turn around and suddenly like you're in a whole different like dream reality you know like and everything's different like and i feel like he's one of the few people who manages to really convey that a feeling of dream of how dreams work yeah i think for me he's like the only one that really nails that like uh only thing that came close to that recently like in the past 10 years or whatever was uh the tv show that was on sci-fi for a bit and uh shutter picked it up but just like the reruns of the tv show and that was a uh, channel zero that gave me that same almost kind of Lynch feeling with some of the episodes where it's like super dreamlike, super nightmarish type stuff. You know, but besides that, uh, nothing really is like, give me that feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, trying to think, I know there's something I've seen, but I just can't think of it. Like that had that feeling as well. But I mean, yeah, Lynch like captures that, that that thing like exactly you know and uh yeah i think that's what's genius about him and i remember like obviously i need to rewatch watch Inland empire like when i get the blu-ray but i feel like Inland empire really has that as well you know even if not even more so because it's like so long you know <laughs> yeah it's a long film but it really has that feeling of being like in some type of dream or nightmare or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch the, the rabbits thing that he did? That that was like part of Inland Empire with like the weird TV show. Yeah. Uh, is that, did that come on Netflix at one time? No, I'm sorry. That was the thing with the like monkey detective type guy. I seen that. I haven't seen the rabbits one. I don't think. And if I have, I don't really remember it. It's on a, it's on YouTube. He, ha- he has it on his YouTube channel. That's like, it's called rabbits and i think i think in the if i'm correctly in inland empire it's like it's like a part of inland empire and some part of it but and i think on the blu-ray there's like the whole thing's on the blu-ray as well but it's like literally this weird like fucking like it's like a sitcom from hell like it's literally like they're like rabbits like they're people with like rabbit masks essentially Mm -hmm. and it's the the cast from it's literally it's um Naomi Watts and Laura Herring and um 
What's, what was the guy who played the director in the in Mulholland Drive? Uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I had it pulled up for a second. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Uh, can't think of his name. Yeah. Was it a? Uh, yeah, I have, I have no idea. Whatever uh, I had pulled up's going. <laughs> oh, um, Adam. Justin Thoreau. Sorry, Justin Thoreau. Okay. Uh, and it's 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 them like voicing me, and I think they might even be playing the characters like, but they're like literally like you know dressed up as rabbits with like with like with like uh, clothing on, and it's so like weird. Like the way that they deliver the dialogue feels very weird. Like people, like it's like this like really like like weird like laugh track and like you know like like as if it's like a sitcom and and they'll like say like some weird almost kind of sometimes like kind of fucked up thing and then all of a sudden like the laugh tracks like laughing at it and stuff you know <laughs> it is fucking uh, trippy dude it's, yeah, I haven't it's, seen that. it's real weird like once you see it you'll never forget it like you're just like what is going on this is bizarre <laughs> yeah i have to check that out i i, I guess i missed that yeah it's on the yeah, you can look it up on uh, on YouTube. But I do think that if you get the Inland Empire Blu-ray, it should be on there because it used to be on the old uh, double disc DVD. And okay. uh, I don't know why, why, but I I just like I'm like fascinated by that rabbit thing because I just I don't quite understand like what like what's going on, you know, like why what like what mm-hmm. its purpose is, and it's kind of disturbing feeling the way that he the way that it's made and the way that it's all put together, like has this kind of like weird disturbing quality to it, you know? Yeah. Definitely sounds up my alley. I'm about to check that out. Yeah. It's like that intangible, like you feel this kind of weird, like you don't quite know why you feel weird, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you kind of like it, you know, like that's how I feel about the rabbits is that, that I don't know why, but I kind of like it, even though it's like really hard to watch in a way because it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I like it. (laughs) I got a recommendation for you from, uh, his daughter, Jennifer Lynch. She's also a director. Um, there's a movie that came out in 2008 called Surveillance. Have you ever seen that? I haven't, no. Dude, that movie's fucking awesome. I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. I just happened to run into it a long time ago on one of the streaming services at that time. might have been Netflix when they first started doing like their actual streaming service after they got off like the whole like mail-in stuff for the most part. But um, it's on the Roku channel for free, and it's also on uh, Magnolia Selects and on Crackle and Plex. You can watch it and stuff right now. And, uh, dude, it's fucking good, and it's got a nice twist to it. And it's definitely got a bit of her dad's flavor in it, you know what I mean? But it's pretty dark, pretty fucked up. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen uh, – has she directed anything else or just that, you think? Um, let's see. That was just the one off the top of my head there. But she's uh she's done some other stuff too. I don't know if anything recent. Uh let's see. Uh she's uh oh hold on, I didn't know that. She supposedly directed uh Boxing Helena. Have you seen that creepy ass weird film? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. Oh man, add that to your list of fucked up weird stuff, man. It's called Boxing Helena. It came out in nineteen ninety three and it's got the dude uh it's got Julian Sands that played Warlock. It's got yeah. Bill Paxton. 
and Sherilyn Finn is in it. So, I mean, that's a plus. It's got a great cast. Uh, I'm not going to tell you any more about it. It's that it's pretty fucked up. And if I tell you, you know, you know, just a little bit about it, it's going to kind of throw it off. And I want you to go in kind of blind with this one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Boxing Helena. Check that one out. Yeah. Cool. Very bizarre. Very bizarre. And I think she uh, had a part in uh, the Dahmer TV show on Netflix, supposedly. She was one of the directors on that. So that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she's, yeah, she's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, she does a lot of stuff, a lot of TV shows and, you know, some fucked up movies like Boxing Helena. And Surveillance is pretty fucked up in its own way, but not as weird as what Boxing Helena is. That's a <laughs> very bizarre one. <laughs> so yeah, that's kinda... almost got like, uh, you remember the movie Crashed that uh, Cronenberg did? Have you seen that? Yeah, I like that movie. Okay, you know, that it's got this, some weird shit going on with like, uh, you know, being uh, like turned on by cars and car crashes <laughs> and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So Boxing Helena has also got some weird fetish type stuff, I guess you would call that. Yeah, you just got to check it out. Let me know what you all think right. of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, that's yeah. appropriate. Like, um, you know, David Lynch. I feel like David Lynch has a little bit of that kind of weird, like, fetishy sex stuff going on in his movies too so <laughs> yeah he definitely does for sure but yeah yeah maybe not as much as david cronenberg like his shit has a lot of that but no. <laughs> yeah no, nobody touches cronenberg when it comes to that stuff <laughs> yeah god damn yeah i remember uh like uh crash like um i remember i watched that movie i was probably way too young watching that movie because uh i was like I don't know, like adolescent, <laughs> you know, like 12 or 13 or some shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Watching fucking Crash. And I read the book by J.G. Ballard as well at the same time. And it's funny because, like, I go oh, back. Well, I haven't read the book. Yeah, the book's really good. Uh, I got, yeah, I kind of became aware of J.G. Ballard. And um, I don't know. It's funny because I was talking about with Mike the other day. And I was like, I don't remember even. I mean, I don't, it's been so long ago that I don't quite remember what was inciting, like where I got into J.G. Ballard, but I think it might have been, um, uh, he has a book called Atrocity Exhibition. You know, Joy Division has like the song called Atrocity Exhibition. And mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe that's how I found yeah. out about him. But yeah, so I found out about J.G. Ballard and it was probably around the same time I also got into like Fight Club and Chuck Palahniuk and, just a lot of like weirdo, weirder, like kind of transgressive literature and stuff. And, um, right. And, uh, yeah. So I remember reading crash and then, you know, I'd already seen some Cronenberg movies like the fly and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I was like, Oh no, watch this movie crash, you know? And, uh, yeah, I was <laughs> like, uh, rereading crash like a few years ago, the novel, I was like, Oh wow. There's some room fucked up shit in here then i uh i don't think i really like understood when i was like 13 or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to warp you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny like some things like when we're like you know 13 14 or something like you just don't or even younger like you just don't quite get you know what i mean like uh, so you just kind of overlook it. Yeah. You like stuff for other reasons, but then you watch it again as an adult. And you're like, oh, there's like a lot of sex stuff in this or something that I did not get when I was, you know, a kid or whatever. But 
Yeah, I, I do that with a lot of the uh, 90s stuff. I go back and rewatch. I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Now I understand this. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I always say to people who like want to like censor stuff or whatever, like, or, you know, save the kids from things. I'm like, if a kid's watching something and they don't understand what, what it understand, they generally just kind of go, okay, whatever. Like, you know, like they don't even, if it's something that's not even on their mind, they're not even going to pay attention, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, it was like, I saw so many fucked up movies when I was a kid and, or, you know, whatever, like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of them you don't really uh you just kind of bypass some things or or you can see a movie like Beetlejuice, right? There's a lot of like weird like sexual stuff in Beetlejuice that you don't even when you're a kid you just like thinking like, Oh, it's funny, like Beetlejuice, you know, like but you don't you don't think about the fact that he's like at like a prostitute place and whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what he was when he died. Supposedly he was a he was something fucked up though before you know before he came back as Beetlejuice. I can't remember what he was, but I remember it was kind of fucked up. But that's one of my favorite films of all time. It still is. I fucking love Beetlejuice. Yeah, I love Beetlejuice as well. It's funny because I was talking with my friends the other day. Like, there's certain movies that I watched so many times when I was a kid, but I don't really watch them as much as an adult because I have them like memorized from beginning to end. Beetlejuice is one of those movies. Like, I've literally. You know, like when I was a, a kid, I remember renting like Beetlejuice and Batman, like, you know, mm. Terminator, Robocop. Those are like some of the movies I rented like every weekend. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Same here. Watch like fucking like constantly to the point that like, even if I don't watch it for a while, if I go back and want, rewatch Beetlejuice, I'll still remember everything like beat for beat that happened in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. that It was a uh, Beetlejuice for me and uh, the other movie uh, kind of kind of similar i guess it came out around the same time was uh little monsters with howie mandel and stuff like those are two of my favorite and it still holds up to me you know little monsters is still so good i've always wanted to be a little monster like i remember <laughs> being as a kid like looking under my bed and stuff like wanting to go down into the underworld you know and like just stay there forever and eat endless amounts of junk food and shit and be a monster that's fine with me you know? <laughs> i'm good with that i can grow some horns i'm fine with that it's cool you know, but I always thought that was real when I was a kid because I, when I first saw that, I think it came out like 88 or 89, I think. So I was really, really young. And, um, you know, I thought that shit was real, man. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go under the bed and hang out with a uh, fucking Maurice and shit and, and be a little <laughs> monster. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you had a, a bunch of stuff like that kind of remember like uh, real monsters or whatever that was on Nickelodeon where it yeah. was like yeah, the monsters and like this like monster realm and stuff. Like, which I I liked that show when I was a kid too. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. The Little Monsters one I b barely remember. Like, I just need to rewatch. I need to watch that again. Like, I I remember seeing it as a kid, but uh, yeah, I don't remember it super well. So that's one I need to to rewatch actually. That's on Netflix, or hopefully it's still on Netflix because it was on there uh, last year. So yeah, you definitely want to rewatch that one. It's it's good and really holds up and uh. It's a lot darker than you thought it was when you were a kid. There's some kind of weird, fucked up kind of shit in this one. You know what I mean? Like you just don't understand as a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's how how it works. You know, like and you know they particularly back then, like they they would do that a lot where they kind of make a kids movie, but they try to put some like adult stuff in there, but kind of hide it, 
put it in a way where maybe the kids don't understand, but the adults will get it, you know? Right. Which I, I think makes, which I actually think makes those things like stand up, you know? Yeah, t- uh, totally. And I, yeah, a lot of the old comic uh, um, cartoon shows like that too. Like, I don't know, like I love the Batman animated series, for example. Oh, that like, was the best. Yeah. Yeah. And that holds up. Like, I mean, I, I rewatched it a few years ago. Um, I had my friend gave me like the old, he got the Blu-ray set. So he gave me all the DVDs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember. And when, before that was on Netflix, I rewatched a bunch of them. And um, like that show, like, I mean, it's to this day, it's one of the best like Batman adaptations, you know? Like, oh, yeah, 100 percent. It's so dark. And yeah, it definitely feels like Batman from the comics. Like it's dark and brooding. And I love the artwork and stuff, too. Yeah, I, I love that. And like Mask of the Phantasm, like the movie they made, like um, when that came out, my dad and I like went and saw it in the theater because it was only playing in like a couple theaters here. My dad and I went and saw it and Mask of the Phantasm, like if you go back and watch it as an adult, is actually a it's a, it's a, it's a pretty adult like themes in that in that in that movie, you know? Like it's not like Yeah. It's definitely not you know I think that was the great thing about that like that show, for example, is they were like not talking down to kids. Like they're like, you know, kids can handle stuff that's like, you know, good enough for adults to watch, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally on that. It was definitely uh, more like uh, adult, you know, adult oriented, and you know, some of the stuff that comes out now when it deals with like superhero shit is kind of, you know, kind of lame, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really liked the uh, the Batman that you know that came out uh, last year. Like, that's it. That show was that oh, movie yeah, was yeah. sick. Yeah, that was great. I just mean some of the like uh, some of the Marvel films, I guess. Not all of them, but. Uh, like when it comes to the Avengers and all, yeah, I have watched them all, but it's like, uh, I'd rather watch the cartoon version of this because you can do a lot more and like it doesn't seem as uh, cheesy to me. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel it more with like the cool cartoons because it's closer to the comics, I guess. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not into the, the Marvel movies for me. I never have been. Like, uh, I remember watching the first Avengers and I don't know, just kind of left me like, like I didn't, I didn't get it, you know. And like I've literally only seen like two of those movies. <laughs> like I just, yeah. I just don't, I don't care about the Marvel movies. Like, and I, I don't like, I don't really like them very much. You know, I'd rather go back and rewatch like the old like X Men cartoon show or something. Yeah, that was a great cartoon. One of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if like, I want to do any kind of like Marvel stuff. I was saying, if I don't do any Marvel stuff, man, I'm going to watch Blade. Blade's the best fucking comic book to um, movie movie ever, I think. You know, Blade, Blade 2. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Blade is, like, uh, fucking sick. I've actually been meaning to... Uh, it's on my pile of stuff to rewatch this Blade and Blade 2. Like, because, uh, uh, again, I, I saw Blade in the movie theaters when it came out, and I think... Uh, and then mm-hmm. I saw it fucking about eight million times after it came out on DVD on Blu-ray or VHS yep. back in the day. <laughs> like, yeah, I, fucking love it. I love the movie. Like, I think it's like, yeah. And if I kind of remember correctly, I think my dad and I might have saw it a second time in theaters when it came out. Like, I, 
I was like obsessed with that movie. And with the second one, fucking uh, Guillermo del Toro was behind that one. So that's even cooler. Like, you know, I love the first one, but the second one, like, has a bigger budget. And, like, you, you, you know, you can tell Guillermo has his hand in that movie. You know what I mean? It feels like one of his type of movies, especially with the way the uh, the vampires looked in that one. Yeah. They, yeah. The kind of like more monstery vampire, like, uh, that kind of remind me of like Nosferatu or something. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, like, like a more like monstrous version of Nosferatu, but yeah, like they have this really cool feeling to it. The second one I've seen a lot less than the first one. That's why I really want to go back and rewatch it because I don't like you know I remember the first one like really well, but uh, but I just want to go back and rewatch it because I just like I remember, I love that movie you know and I haven't seen it in a while. Oh yeah, that'd, that'd be a good rewatch for you, and uh, make sure you. Uh, avoid the third one i mean the third one's just not good at all i, I hated it when it came out because uh there was a bunch of shit going on with that movie uh wesley snipes didn't really want to he the way they had him portrayed in that one he he wanted to be more like the blade from the first two films you know more like uh you know darker more brooding and stuff and i think they wanted to keep the third one like add humor to it and kind of lighten it up a bit and he fucking hated that so he hated the whole time of uh doing that blade three movie and it kind of shows in like you know the performance and stuff there it doesn't really feel like a a blade movie yeah i heard that one's like kind of campy like like with uh, kind of campy and like kind of like not like uh, you know not like um as dark as the first two right yeah and it feels like a uh a sci-fi original movie version of blade to me like the way it's filmed is filmed really bright it looks super digital and stuff it just it doesn't look good either you know it, i don't know why they made it it's horrible and there's too much comedy in it and stuff and the vampires are pretty pretty boring just didn't like it yeah i mean i've i've always avoided that movie there's certain movies that that people have told me how bad they were and i just like i'm not gonna watch that and that was one of them and then uh matrix 3 was another one that i'm just like <laughs> uh like no i'm not gonna watch that you know like i just so i've never seen like the third matrix and i've never seen a third blade because uh yeah because i heard how bad they are (laughs) i like the third matrix myself i like all the matrix films you know the first three are my favorite then they came out with that what was the new the newest one was like four right the one that recently came out yeah re reloaded or whatever i haven't watched it that one my friend lent it to me i need to sit and watch it it's not bad. It just it, I don't know. It just doesn't compare with the other films, especially the first two. But it's still not bad. It's my least favorite of all the Matrix films. I would say you know number one is my favorite, of course, and number two, then three, then the new one. So, right, like, yeah, I I saw, you know, obviously saw the first two in the theaters and stuff. But then, uh, yeah, I, I never actually. Maybe I should. Maybe I should give the third one a chance because I just heard from a lot of people who didn't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I saw the third one in the IMAX theater when IMAX first came out, and um, we ended up having to sit in the very front row of the IMAX theater, so we had to like fucking stare straight up. Oh <laughs> so no! I just remember my fucking neck was killing me, and I'm like, I don't know what's really going on here. But I can see everybody's pores and stuff. Like I can see such detail. So I had to watch it again when it came out, like get the full feel of it since I could, couldn't really see everything because that screen was so damn big and I was in the front row. 
Yeah, you'd almost think like maybe they shouldn't put the front row so close so that you can't see it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's total bullshit. Yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> Particularly because IMAX movies are so goddamn expensive too. You know. Yeah, and this was back when I was in high school, I think. So I had to like scrounge up money just to go see this thing, you know, and I couldn't really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Talking about movie soundtracks, both the soundtrack to Blade and uh, The Matrix, like back when I was, you know, like whatever, like 12 or whatever, that was like the shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Great soundtracks too. Yeah, definitely. Like I remember me and my friends like listening to those soundtracks like all the time, like uh particularly the matrix one but both of them like we were like really like always like listening to those soundtracks yeah same here i remember um we went and played like uh laser tag and they were, they played like the matrix soundtrack while you're playing laser tag and stuff <laughs> oh yeah that's good times there i remember laser tag they closed that down after a while but uh it was fun while it lasted <laughs> laser tag that was good <laughs> shit man damn it missed that yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like we used to, we used to go. Up, there's this place. Uh, was this place? Um, I, where I grew up, like called uh, Heritage Square. I was like on the side of a mountain, and it was like this, like really old, like um, kind of amusement park, I guess. Like you know, like and it was kind of set up like, like it was like a old timey, like old west city or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not really old west but kind of like like uh, i don't know a city from like like 1910s or something you know and they had like all these shops there and like they had like a bunch of you know like a mini coast like a little tiny mini coaster and like you know some other rides but uh by the time and they had like these like uh alpine slide things as well um mm-hmm. but by the time like, I guess it used to be like more like a, 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 a the place to go, like used to be more popular and whatnot. But by the time I was a kid, it was kind of like, I don't know, like half abandoned kind of like, you know, like you could go up there and, and whatever. And they had stuff, but it was like kind of creepy. And uh, mm-hmm. they had the laser tag place up there. And uh, they also had a really cool haunted house, which I think was improved by how creepy it was going to that place, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just in general, like, oh, you're getting up this creepy, like, semi-abandoned amusement park to go to Haunted House. Like, it was perfect, like, environment. That's that's awesome. That's fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, that place closed, and they're, like, I think, uh, I mean, it's still sitting up there. Just, like, I remember I went on a hike. You can go on this. I went on this hike by this trail that goes, went behind it where you could look over the old old park. Mm. And it's still just sitting there. And they have, like some of the old like these old like where it's like warehouse area like still open to like people like uh businesses mm-hmm. it's just like weird it's just like this just sitting there you know no one could go there it's kind of a bummer a lost relic yeah exactly you know the um yeah we used to go up there and play laser tag and, and whatnot <laughs> nice the um uh, listen to Matrix soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. What the fuck was I going to say? Um, before we close out, uh, you watch anything Anything cool like in the last, like recently? Uh, let me check uh, my ratings here. I always try to keep the 
internet movie database on me because uh on my phone that way i can go back and look at these type of things uh i can tell you one thing to avoid um when i do my cardio i usually do some bike cardio i've been uh watching some crappy movies that made time go by and uh stay away from the new orphan movie it sucked <laughs> <laughs> i you know, just don't yeah i actually never i didn't and so like i know what happens in an orphan movie like the first one but i never actually seen it but I listened to a podcast that like went over the plot of it. So <laughs> I finally watched the uh, Banshees of In uh Sharon. I think that's the way you pronounce it. I'm not too sure on that, but uh that was really cool. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Um the Outwaters was I, I thought was really cool. I know Mike doesn't like it too much. <laughs> he hates yeah. it, but I was like, man, I actually like this. Right. I took it up as a challenge to watch it. It's like, yeah, check it out anyways. And I'm like, cool. And I did. And I ended up liking it. And I'm going to be talking to the uh, the director here pretty soon on the Horror Wolf podcast. So I'm cool. looking forward to that and kind of picking his brain out. Um, also, another cool one I watched that's on Shudder is a Spoonful of Sugar. It's a kind of a dumb name, but it's a cool-ass movie. It's uh, pretty fucked up. Um, you might like that one. It's good. Yeah, I saw I saw that was on Shutter. I, I was like, I, I, because of the title, I didn't actually look at what it was about. <laughs> yeah, the title's weird, but the movie's actually pretty cool. I'd watch it. Cool. And, um, I also finally watched the uh, new Benson and Moorhead movie, Something in the Dirt. Fucking fantastic killer yeah, movie. I need to watch that. Uh, where where did you watch it on? Uh, I watched that on. I think it was on Hulu. Yeah, I watched it on Hulu. It's on Hulu right now. Stream it for free if you got Hulu cool yeah uh, you know all the other movies on shutter so yeah but that one is not <laughs> yeah but that's kind of like the stuff i've been watching lately i haven't i've been mostly doing other stuff besides watching movies which i need to be doing but i've been pretty busy with other things so i got a new uh, vr headset and so i've been playing some resident evil 8 village in vr and that's been taking up a lot of my time but it's fucking oh, cool. awesome yeah <laughs> you're talking uh, about like bone chilling like man like there's some scenes in that one like you get chased by a giant deformed baby and you all you can do is hide like under a bed or hide in some cabinets you can't let it get you or it swallows you whole i mean yeah. that'd get you going you know what i mean yeah yeah all in yeah. vr <laughs> that's intense i mean uh very I didn't play, intense. I didn't play Village. I played um, uh, well, I played the remakes. I played two and three remakes, and I played uh, what's the one before that? Eight or whatever. Or uh, seven, seven. Which one? Rep? Seven. Seven. That was the one yeah. when you're in the house with like it's got that Texas Chainsaw feel to it. Yeah, that was last. Like I played that one. I played the remakes. I hadn't gotten to the village yet. So, village is great, and there's werewolves. There's fucking mechanical like frankenstein-ish type creatures there's all kinds of shit there's a giant baby thing in it that chases you <laughs> while you're like kind of like hallucinating at the same time like it's pretty trippy man it's good very good cool yeah i mean uh, the setting is pretty pretty rad like i'm not kind of like a medieval like castle and all that stuff like i think that's cool yeah I you get to fight a giant uh eight uh ten foot tall vampire lady yeah <laughs> seeing her in vor is fucking like intimidating because the scale and everything is pretty right on like you're looking up to her like holy shit she's huge and you know it's, it's great yeah i've obviously seen pictures of her and everything and the uh the um the setting kind of reminds me of of resident evil 4 
which I guess they that just got reissued, right? Uh, the remake for that for that one. Yeah, I think it just came out yesterday or today, and that's also getting a VR remake. I mean, a VR edition that's they're working on right now it should be out. Hopefully, end of the year, maybe next year sometime. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be really intense, especially when they fight the chainsaw dude. You know. Yeah, definitely. It'll be uh that game is pretty intense. The first the original was like pretty hard, like so the um like uh let's see, I mean I wonder if they're gonna keep it as hard as the original is. Cause I feel like yeah, Resident that's Evil what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, 'cause I you know, Resident Evil two remake and Resident Evil three remake were pretty in a lot of ways, like they weren't that hard. Like I beat the Resident Evil three remake in like two settings, you know like well wow, that's good no, i i don't those old tank controls like because they kind of kept those you know what i mean with like the tank feeling controls i don't like those and i'm not a big puzzle person and i know the older resident evils are full of puzzles and it fucking frustrates me so i usually quit playing <laughs> i'm more of an action guy and i would like to keep pressing forward you know right well i think the yeah resident evil 3 remake was uh more of an action game that you know like uh, in a lot of ways, you know, like because Resident Evil Two, the original mm -hmm. game was definitely a puzzle game, and and they retained a lot of that with the remake. But you know, they added like a bunch of action too as well. But yeah, I was a big big fan of like Resident Evil Two, like the original game. I I still have mm -hmm. it on PlayStation, and nice. Uh, yeah, I love that game, and um, uh, yeah, like I mean. I think my favorite horror video game series is Silent Hill, but uh, uh, Resident Evil was actually the one that kind of got me into horror video games because uh, getting like Resident Evil Two like back in the day. So yeah, I, have lot, yeah. I have a lot of nostalgia for for that for that original game. <laughs> Speaking of Silent Hill, they're working on and I, they're pretty much done with either it's a remaster like Silent Hill Two or it's a new one. I can't remember exactly, but that's going to be coming out really soon. Yeah, it's um, it's like a remake of Silent Hill Two. Um, okay. Yep, and uh, they kind of changed. I don't, I don't know how much they changed. I know they changed like the perspective, so it's not gonna be like the roving camera like an original game. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's coming out, and and they're gonna be doing a uh, a movie called Return of Silent Hill, which is um, gonna be like a a, ver a movie version of Silent Hill Two, um, done by the same guy. Uh, Christoph, whatever his name is, you did uh, the original Silent Hill movie. Nice. Okay. So, so it's the guy, you know, the same team who put together the original Silent Hill movie, which I think is pretty good. Yes, me they, too. They, um, they, they're coming together to do a, a adaptation of Silent Hill two as a as a movie. So that's why they're doing the Silent Hill two remake is because mm -hmm. of that because of that reason to correspond with the. Uh, the movie like coming out as well so nice. which i'm good. i'm looking forward to that because yeah i mean i think the silent hill movie is real good like i mean they changed stuff from the series which is fun from the games which is okay with me i mean they kind of created their own little their own version of silent hill you know and i think they really retained the feeling of the games you know and, and the the look and feel of the games so mm -hmm. i thought they did a really good job with with the silent hill movie yeah, same here. I, I I dig that one. Yeah, so I'm like I'm pretty confident that that they're gonna like make a good good version of Sound Hill too. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I watched the uh, 
Necromantic. It's on Shutter right now. Oh yeah, with the Joe Joe Bob hosted that one. I didn't watch the Joe Bob one, but yeah, I watched oh, the original. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that movie. Yeah, I need to watch that one and two. I want to watch two before it pops off there as well. But that movie's fucking crazy, man. I don't know. Did you yeah. watch it? I've seen it before. It's been years, and I know Joe Bob had it on his uh, Valentine's Day special. But I didn't. I didn't finish. I didn't get to the second movie, and I still haven't went back and rewatched it. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. It's not really my type of thing, I guess. Like one and done kind of sort of movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's real like crazy. I've never seen it before, so like, I figure like I've been hearing about this movie for fucking like twenty years or something. Like I'm gonna even, I'm gonna watch it finally, you know. And, mm-hmm. It's fucking like way crazy, you know. Yeah, like it's an experience. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an experience. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an experience. But I'm gonna watch the second one too. But yeah, I love the music in it though. That's the one. The best. I think the best part about Necromantic was the music. It's so good. Yeah, agreed. And uh, yeah, aside from that, I've just been watching like uh, been watching a lot of Hammer horror stuff. No, good classics. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I got to decide I'm going to try to, like, finish up my collection of Dracula and Frankenstein Hammer movies. So I literally just got two to get for Dracula and a couple a couple more for Frankenstein. So, but um, nice. The other day I went to the store by my house, like, and I found um, Devil's Advocate on DVD. So I picked that up. Oh, cool. I haven't seen that movie in a long ass time. That's a good one. Yeah, so I've been like, you know what? I need to watch this. I need to watch Al Pacino be the devil again. <laughs> he plays a great fucking devil. Uh, that's such a good movie. It's so fucking, I don't know, it's so 90s and so, you know, it's, you know, dark. I'm pretty sure it was 90s, right? Not early. No, that should have been 90s. Uh, yeah, I think so. it was 90s. Let me double check. It says uh, 98. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great one. Pacino makes a great devil. <laughs> so does Robert De Niro. Like, <clears throat> Those two are so great together, like when he played the movie Heat, which I recently rewatched and stuff. But and they also make great devils, like uh, you know, um, what you call it? Uh, yeah, Al Pacino. De Niro was a devil, and uh, you know, Angel Heart, man, and goddamn, yeah. he played a great devil. Yeah, I love him and that Lewis Cipher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put that together, it's Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's right there in front of you. Yeah. I I love him as the devil in a movie, like yeah, like. Uh, that movie is just like a sick movie overall. And, uh, again, a super awesome, like dark noir, you know? And yeah, like I love it when you mix like the supernatural and horror with, with the noir and yeah, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Same here. Yeah. But I haven't seen devil's advocate in long ass times. So I don't really remember it that well. So, uh, I was like, I'm going to pick this up. Oh, that's gonna be good to rewatch, man. You're gonna enjoy that. It holds up very well. Some of the CGI in there is kind of, you know, doesn't hold up more the fuck, but the movie itself does. Like it's solid, you know. Yeah, yeah, like the the story and everything. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to to checking that one out. But yeah, thanks for coming on again, dude, and talking about David Lynch. Hell yeah, man! Anytime, and I'll have you on my show eventually too soon. So. We can talk about some cool shit and, you know, always an awesome time, man. Yeah, man. I always enjoy enjoy getting the chance to talk to you. And, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, be doing this again before too long. Yep. Sounds good to me, man.
All right, man. Well, I hope you have a good night. You too, dude. Have a good rest of your weekend. You too, bro. I'll talk to you later. Later, man. Bye. Oh,